Well, I'm worn out, just so you know. I, I stand before you, I'm, I'm tired. It, Christmas, it seems, wears you out, and then Christmas happens. It's, it, how, does, how does that work? You're so tired. You know, Christmas is Thursday, and I'm already, I'm exhausted. Uh, maybe it's good that I'm here at the pole, but I just lean on it the whole time. Going, Whew, I'm tired. You know, this, this, so far this month, we've had all kinds of stuff. We, we've had things at school. We've had Christmas programs and choir concerts and field trips and Christmas parties and basketball games and all kinds of things to be at at school. And then, of course, here at church, we've had different things going on. I've had meetings. We had a Christmas program. We've had things that have been happening. And, and we've had sick kids at home, which, boy, that just, on top of all of it. And I know you're the same way. I know I'm not the only one who would want to just lean this morning. Some of you came to church just so you could sit down for a while. That's okay. I get it. You just came because, man, I'm tired. I, you know, at least I know I can sit down. I can lean back a little bit. And if I fall asleep, I won't be the only one. And so, so there you go. And, boy, it, it, it can really wear you out. You just want to rest and recover. And like I said, Christmas hadn't even happened yet. We're traveling this week to go visit family, and we're going to get more exhausted. Some of you are hosting family. For some crazy reason, you want to do that. You're going to host your whole family, and here they are. You're going to be tired. You just say, don't, don't add anything else to my schedule right now. I, I, I'm done. Don't add anything else. I, I'm going to disappoint you this morning because I'm going to add one thing. I'm going to add something this morning. I'm going to ask you to put something on top and inside and around everything else you're doing. I think that it's the missing ingredient in so many of our lives. I think we look and we say, I'm tired. I'm, I'm frustrated. I don't have much hope. I don't have much joy. I don't have much peace. I'm just trying to get through the day. I'll be happy when I can lay my head down at night and know at least the house is still standing today. <laughs> I think this is the missing ingredient. I think what we're going to look at over the next three weeks is the one thing that if we will begin to do this on a regular basis, and for some, maybe that's just right now a weekly basis. For others, it may be a daily. For some, it's going to be a minute-by-minute minute experience. I believe that the missing ingredient will add joy to your life. I believe it will fill you up inside. I believe it will change your perspective. I think if you begin to do this day in and day out, you will be forever different. The missing, missing ingredient in our lives is not extra time in the schedule. Though it would be great if God would add a few hours to the day that we could fill up with more stuff, right? The missing ingredient is not more money. Though wouldn't it be awesome not to have to put your Christmas on the credit card? The missing ingredient is, is not just that people would get along in your home. I think this missing ingredient is the foundation maybe for all those other things eventually to fall into place. The missing ingredient is worship. We live lives that are full of lots of things, and we fill them up, and yet we seem so empty. We seem to have so much going on, and yet we're so frustrated by it all. We say that we worship, or that we praise, or that we know the God of the universe, and yet our lives still are empty sometimes and hopeless. Why is that? I think the missing ingredient for so many of us, myself included, is worship. I believe as we look the next three weeks, we'll see, and this is just a starting point, just so you know, we'll see how worship can change us. 
You say, it's Christmas time. Why are you preaching a series called Worship? Well, when I read the Christmas story, there are several things that stand out to me. And one of those is worship. Because when the shepherds met Jesus, you know what they did? They worshipped. When the wise men came, you know why they came to see Jesus? So they could worship the King of the Jews. Later on in the temple, when Jesus was dedicated at the time of circumcision, do you know what the people did there when they knew that He was the Son of God? They worshipped. I believe Christmas is all about worship. Now, these three sermons that I'll preach the next couple of weeks will not cover everything that worship is or that worship does or that it should be about, but it's going to be a starting point for us. Now, let me kind of lay the foundation for, for what I believe to be true. And I, I'm not sure there's a whole lot of wiggle room here. I think if you think about these things, you probably would agree, at least to some degree, that these things are true about worship in general. First of all, you and I are worshipers. You, we are. We are worshipers. Because there is something or someone that has our attention, that has our devotion, and that, that has our obedience. That's, that's true, I think, of all of us. Now, you may not worship God. You may not worship Jesus. You may be worshiping something else. And you know that something, though, or someone in your life has your attention, has your devotion, and has your obedience. I think it's also true that you and I are controlled by whatever or whomever we worship. We're controlled by it. Because whatever has your attention, has your devotion, has your obedience, shapes you. You take on the form of whatever it is that you worship. I mean, you think about this. We get on young people all the time. We tell them, you know, you're just, you're, don't give in to what everybody else is doing. Don't be conformed. Don't, don't change to become like them. We say all those young people, they're just running with the wrong crowd. And they're going to do the wrong things because everybody else is doing it. And maybe we get on them because their images, what they worship, their icons, or these people they see on television, social media, wherever, and they want to be like those folks, or at least they want to experience what they think those people are experiencing. But in reality, we're no different. Those of us who are the grown-ups are simply hypocritical if we think that we are not also controlled by whatever it is or whoever it is that we worship. Now, I also want to build on the platform that just because you and I attend church does not necessarily mean that we are worshiping. doesn't necessarily mean we're worshiping the Lord. You know as well as I do there are some Sundays you come in here and go through the motions. I do the same thing. I hate to admit that. But there are some Sundays, isn't it true, that we come, we just go through, we mouth the words of the songs, and we tolerate the sermon, and we get to the end, and all right, let's go to lunch. Whew. Sometimes we come to church, and it doesn't mean that we've done anything but gathered with a bunch of other people who decided that 10 o'clock on Sunday morning, they come to the east side of Callaway County. Just because we've come to church does not mean that we've worshipped the Lord. Also, worship is active. It's not passive. It's something that you participate in. Just because we have shown up and we have attended what we call a worship service doesn't mean that we've actually participated. You may have been here, but it requires your participation. It is active. And let me say this as well about worship in the church. It has nothing to do with the style of music and everything to do with your heart. Churches have split. Churches have closed. Churches have collapsed. They have blown themselves up over fighting over a preference on style of music. When all that reveals is a heart that is not set on worshiping God. It's not about style of music. There is no one particular style that is more biblical than another particular style. You may prefer one. 
You may like a more contemporary, upbeat, drums, guitars kind of style. You may like a more traditional, piano-only kind of style. But let me tell you this, it doesn't matter what the style is. If your heart's not right, you're not worshiping God. I also say that the true object of your worship is seen not necessarily in church, but the other six days a week. The true object of our worship is not seen when it's easy to sing songs. I, 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 I love it. I, had, I was standing in the back today, and I get two different perspectives. Sometimes I stand in the back, kind of helping out a little bit. We've got some videos and so on, just to make sure that an extra set of hands, as Austin and Daniel tend to scramble a little bit back there, and it's kind of tough. So when I'm back there, though, you know what? I get the perspective. I get to see everybody. When I'm up here, though, you know what I get to do? I get to hear everybody. I, I mean, I love to listen. I love to watch the church worship the Lord. But I know this. On a Sunday of Christmas, it's easy for us to come and sing songs. No question. Easy for me. Easy for us to talk about God when we're gathered with other people who give us permission to talk about God. But the true object of our worship is seen the other six days of the week. That's... That's what reveals our heart. That's where we see our true attention, our true devotion, our true obedience. And let me say also that those who truly know Jesus worship Him. It is a natural extension of the relationship. It is not something that you grow into. It is something that happens because you know Jesus. Because you've been overwhelmed by His grace and His love for you and what He did for you on the cross and through the resurrection. The natural result is to worship. And when people met Jesus in the Christmas story and truly recognized Him for who He is, the very Son of God, the Messiah sent to deliver us from our sins, they didn't just nod in approval. They worshiped. And so I want you to know that for the next three weeks, my goal is to help us understand what worship really is, how we can do it, what it involves, and what it will do in our lives. So we're going to look at how to worship like a shepherd today. Next week, we'll look at how to worship like a wise man. And then the following week, yes, this will be after Christmas. It will throw some of you off. You'll still think it's Christmas time when we gather on January 4th and I'm preaching about how to worship like an old person. That's going to be a good one. Now, I don't want to pick on anybody here, but we've got some older folks here today, don't we? Let me tell you something. When the older folks in the story of Jesus met him, they worshiped. Their lives were complete, they said. So let's look this morning how to worship like a wise man. You know the story, even if you've never been in church, because you've seen Charlie Brown Christmas. You've seen it. You know the story. And it's found in Luke chapter 2. Turn there if you've got a Bible. Get there on your phone or your tablet or look on the handout. And you can follow along on the screen. No excuse for us not to get in the Scripture this morning. Luke chapter 2, we're going to begin in verse 8. Now, we pick up the story, just so you know, we pick it up after the birth of Jesus with the announcement to the shepherds that the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior, Christ the Lord, is here. Here's what happens. In the same region, talking about the same region of Bethlehem, around that same area, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today a Savior, who is Messiah, Christ, the Lord, was born for you in the city of David. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in cloth and lying in a feeding trough or a manger. 
Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to people he favors. When the angel had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the feeding trough. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying God, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard, just as they had been told. I love the story of the shepherds. I love these guys. They're nameless. They're faceless. They're they're not mentioned anymore in the story of the birth of Jesus, but they play a very significant role in showing us several things, one of which this morning I want to see is what it's like to worship like a shepherd. Now, the story, you'll see on the, the backside of that little handout there with the outline. If you've got it, I want you to look at it real quick. The outline is structured a particular way this morning, not because I can't line things up on the computer, but because I believe the story shows this very clearly, this is bracketed. You see in verses 8 through 20, the shepherds are in the field at the beginning, and they're in the field at the end, and in between something happens that changes what they're doing in the field. And so we're going we're gonna to look at how this works together. You kind of see how this, this story goes. So the story of the shepherds begins with them in the field watching the sheep. Very simple. You see that, verse 8. It says, In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Now, years ago when you were traveling toward the Christmas season, Thanksgiving, wherever, you might be on a long trip and you'd stop in a rest area, rest stop. And and you'd walk in and they've got all kinds of advertisements, the little brochures that your kids would gather and throw on the floor of the van. And, and, And also in there, they would have a huge map of whatever state that you're in. And guess what? Right where you were, they put a little X and it says, you are here. Now nowadays, we don't have to do that. You just pull up the app on your phone and you tap the little arrow and it zooms in right here. You are here. Now I want you to think about these shepherds and sort of that experience that we get. This you are here experience. You're in the field watching the sheep. Now for them, here was a very lowly place. These guys were not glamorous. They were shepherds. It was a good profession, but it wasn't anything that certainly was was something you aspire to. In fact, they were just doing what they do. Nothing special for them. In many cases, the shepherds were not desirable. I mean, you think about wanting to be around somebody, shepherds being around animals all day long out in the field, not exactly the kind of guy you want to stand next to all day long, if you know what I mean. Not exactly going to get the regular shower and bathing that other folks might desire. Not only that, but but religiously they were not really desirable because of their work and being out in the field all the time. They couldn't participate in the regular Jewish uh, religious rituals. And so they were considered not only physically unclean, but religiously unclean. They, 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 they were... They were not trusted to a large degree. Their testimony later on was not admissible in court. These guys were just sort of -of run-of-the-mill, doing a job. They may have considered their lives and their work to be kind of routine and monotonous, maybe even useless, or maybe just not what they wanted it to be. Now, I want you to think about your here. If you were to describe where that little X is on your map, you are 
here, how would you describe it? You might say, well, I'm just stuck here. <laughs> I don't know what to do. I mean, I, maybe I know there's something more, or I like something different, but I don't know what to do. Just kind of stuck. Or maybe for you, here is very depressing. I mean, you really are battling these, these negative emotions and these circumstances that just have you beaten down. And you say, look, here right now is just awful. It's tough. Or maybe for you, you just say it, it's tiring and hopeless. I, I, work, I work and work and work and try to see something different happen in my life, but nothing different is going on. Maybe for some of you, though, it's the opposite end of the spectrum. And you say, here is perfect. I don't want anything to change. I'm comfortable. It's all safe. I'm good. Leave me alone. Don't mess with my here right now. Or maybe you kind of feel like a shepherd. I, I know a guy that used to be a shepherd. And I mean that. That's the truth. I know a guy who used to be a shepherd. He spent a few weeks in Montana, I believe it was, as a shepherd. And I've relayed this to you before. I asked him one time, what was it like to be a shepherd? It's kind of an odd thing in the modern world to be a shepherd. And he mentioned several things to me, but one of the things he said was that you walk probably 15 to 20 miles a day. He said, I've worn out by the end of the day. And I didn't get very much sleep because the sheep tend to wander off. He said, not only that, but it can be very frustrating. He said, because no matter what kind of lush green grass you lead them to, the sheep always want to graze uphill. Here's the grass. I'm going uphill. That's the way that it is. He said, you're never done. You're always worn out. Maybe life for you is really like a shepherd. I mean, you're responsible for a lot. You're always on. You just never feel like you've accomplished all that's before you, and you're just worn out. Your here might be very ordinary or routine or like you're stuck on a treadmill and nothing seems to change. You want more? Maybe you know there's more. Maybe you don't. But you're just kind of like those shepherds. There you are, just in the field, watching the sheep. But then something happens in verse 9. When the angels announce Jesus... They're in the field at the beginning, and then they encounter these angels who announce Jesus. Then the angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Naturally so. These guys just going through their lives, and all of a sudden, God's glory shows up, and His angels are there before them, and they announce the glory of God. The angel said to them, don't be afraid for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Now there, there's, there's such a thing as good news in our world today. Sort of like attention last minute shoppers, we're open until five o'clock on Christmas Eve. And guys, that's really, really good news because I know none of you have shopped yet. So five o'clock on Christmas Eve maybe is your deadline. That's good news. But let me tell you, there's good news that brings great joy. And that's what the, the angels announced. These guys were terrified. They didn't know what was going on, as you can well imagine. The actual, the literal rendering of this is they feared a great fear. They feared a great fear. I mean, they're just overwhelmed. They're, they're, they're not sure what to do. They're terrified. What do the angels announce? They say, rejoice a great joy. Don't fear a great fear. Rejoice a great joy. He says, for you, yes, you, you guys standing out there in the field, you ordinary people for whom life never changes, guess what? I've got good news. Today, today, the one you've been waiting on, the one in whom Israel had placed all their hopes and dreams, this promised Messiah, this one who would come and deliver them, 
This one who would come and rescue them. This one who would come and change life for them. The angel says, hey guys, he's here. Good news of great joy for all the people. It says in verse 12, verse 11, Today a Savior who is Messiah, Christ, the Lord, was born for you in the city of David. They announce this Savior, this Messiah, this Lord. God Himself, they say. Using titles just so you know of deity. When they say Savior and they say Lord, these are titles of deity. God's promised one. He Himself has come to change things forever. God has given the world an incredible gift. And they say, you'll find the baby wrapped snugly in cloth and lying in a feeding trough, lying in the manger. They say, go check it out for yourselves. There's an incredible gift that's been given. And then, like a flash mob, these angels show up in verse 13. Suddenly there was a multitude of heavenly hosts with the angels. They come out of nowhere, praising God, saying glory to God in the highest. And peace on earth to people he favors. Good news. I've got good news for you, they say. The angels announced Jesus. Go check it out. Good news and peace have come. Go check it out for yourself. So, the shepherds then experience Jesus. It's interesting to see what they do in verse 15. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Eh, eh, I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah, the angels. What do they know? They came from heaven. There's a whole bunch of them. Eh. Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. There's nothing casual about their relationship with God. No, eh, whatever. God had made known to them that the Messiah had come, and guess what? They said, we got to go check this out. We've got to go find out more. We want to experience Jesus for ourselves. Yes, we're going to take the angel's word for it because we're going to go based upon what they said. But we're not just going to leave it at that. We're going to go experience Jesus for ourselves. They hurried off. And they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a feeding trough. You know, they they didn't just stay in the field and say, well... And I've got some other things to do. Maybe I'll get that, get to that one day. They said, no, 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 I want to experience what God has done. I don't want to just hear about it. I don't want it just to be announced to me. I don't want to just hear a sermon week in and week out and consider that my spirituality. I want to experience Jesus. Let me tell you what I truly believe is missing in so many of our lives, and that is an ongoing daily experience with our Savior. Some of us, our testimonies began and ended with, well, when I was a kid, I walked the aisle and got baptized. Let me tell you, that is simply the beginning. God has so much in addition to that, that life, John says in his gospel, eternal life begins now, not just when we get to heaven. Some of us have not experienced Jesus since that moment of salvation. And maybe we wonder then why our lives are so hopeless and empty. What we need is an experience with Jesus. Not to live vicariously through somebody else, through your Sunday school teacher, or through your preacher, or through somebody you see on television. But for us to truly experience Jesus, because nothing else will change us. 
And church, if we want to see revival, if we want to see not just this place filled up and overflowing, but truly to see East Callaway County changed for the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's going to take an experience with Jesus that begins with us. If you have in your life some areas that you say, I know this isn't exactly the way it needs to be. For some, that's your marriage. And it's just struggling. And you don't want anybody to know, and you're not going to admit it even to me or to anybody around. But you know what your marriage needs is an experience with Jesus. You know what your parenting needs is an experience with Jesus. Young people, you know what your dating relationships, your sexuality, all of those things, you know what it needs is an experience with Jesus, with your Savior, with your Messiah, with your Lord. The shepherds didn't leave it to somebody else to experience Jesus for them. They hurried off eager it says, to experience Him. And after seeing them, verse 17, they reported the message that they were told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. They found Him, it says, the baby lying in the feeding trough. That word found there means to find by searching. They actually went and looked for where Jesus was. Where is God active? What's He doing? Let me experience that. And the joy began when they learned of Jesus, and it simply was exponential after that when they experienced Him. You'll find Him, the angel said, so they went and looked for Him. I wonder how many of us are active in our experience of Jesus each and every day. I don't mean to put guilt on you this morning. I want you to know there's something more to life than what you're experiencing the day in and the day out grind that you hate so much. There is an experience with Jesus in the middle of that, out in the field watching the sheep. There's an experience with Jesus that God is calling you to. We stop short of that. We stop short of that by only coming to the church service once a week. You know, let, me, let me just tell you, I'm so glad you're here this morning. I really am. And, I, and this may be the only time of the year that you come. And praise God you're here. And I truly mean that. We'd love to invite you back. I hope that you'll come back sometime. But, but I, I'm never going to get on anybody for coming to church. But let me just tell you, there's more. There's an experience with Jesus that happens outside these walls as well. That happens in your personal life. That happens as you spend time with Him daily. That happens when you begin to let Him have your attention and your devotion and your obedience. There's an experience with Him that you can't only experience within the walls of the church building. There's more. We stop short of that, though, and we wonder why we never experience true joy and peace. The story wraps up. Shepherds in the field, there they are watching the sheep. The angels announce Jesus. They go off and they experience Jesus. And then it comes back full circle. Because the story ends with them back in the field. But now, they're in the field worshiping the Savior. Verse 20. The shepherds returned. You know where they went back? To the field. They were still shepherds. Still had the same routine. Still doing the same daily things, the same old monotonous, lowly, look down upon kind of life. They returned to that same old life, back to where they were before, back to the sheep. They returned, it says, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard, just as they had been told. They jumped back on the treadmill, back to the ordinary, but they're never the same. Because they had experienced Jesus. They had begun to worship Jesus. 
He now had their attention, their devotion, their obedience. They're back in the field, but they're back as completely different shepherds. I can't, I can't promise you this morning that your external circumstances are all going to change if you live a life of worship before Jesus. Anybody who promises you that is a liar. Let me just tell you that. And I don't mean to pick on anybody or anything like that, but, but if, if, if you see folks on TV or listen to them on the radio and they're promising you that if you'll only give your life to Jesus, then everything about you is going to change. Your bank account, your house, everything's going to fall into line just exactly the way you've always wanted it to. They are a liar. I can't promise you that anything is going to change externally. Now, I can show you principles in the Bible that say that, you know what, normally this is the way that it goes. If we apply these principles in our lives, we live wisely. This is what typically happens. I can't promise you, though, but I can promise you this, that when you begin to worship Jesus, everything in you and everything about you changes. And the external circumstances begin to be muted at least just a little bit. And what takes priority and what trumps all of that is what God is doing on the inside of you. I wish, I really do, that I could promise you. Just start worshiping Jesus every single day. And you know what? That job you've always wanted, it's yours. That money that you need, you just keep checking the mailbox because it's going to show up. I can't promise you that. God may do whatever He wants to do, and He may deliver all those. I'm not going to speak that He won't, but I can't promise you. But when you submit your life to Jesus, when you become a worshiper of the Messiah, everything in you changes. These shepherds were still shepherds. I mean, you would think the angels show up and announce this, and all of a sudden these are going to be the guys who become the disciples one day. I mean, everything's going to change for them. They're still shepherds. We don't hear from them again in the story. But they were never the same. Even though nothing had changed around them, they were never the same. And that's really the lesson from the shepherds this morning. That worship changes everything, even if nothing changes. Worship changes everything, even if nothing changes. To worship like a shepherd means that you celebrate and you verbalize the greatness of God. When it says they were glorifying and praising God, that means they were saying God is wonderful. Let me talk about who He is and what He's done. When you worship like a shepherd, you're going to celebrate and you're going to verbalize the greatness of God. Let me just promise you something this morning. You're going to have a moment or maybe several moments this week where you wonder if anything's going to change, where life seems to conspire against you. And you are here is nowhere close to where you want to be. You'll have times when you get tired from the treadmill of life. Let me encourage you to worship. You're going to have times when you're depressed. Worship. You're going to have times when you're lonely or when you're just done or when things are falling apart. Or even when things are great. Let me encourage you in all of those times to worship. To find a way to celebrate and to verbalize the greatness of God. It's time for us to worship like the shepherds did. Don't let Christmas go by without pausing, at least on Christmas Day. And I would encourage you, the days leading up, begin a habit of celebrating and verbalizing the greatness of God. What a tradition you could start with just you or maybe your family 
to say every Christmas, at least on Christmas, we're going to verbalize, we're going to celebrate the greatness of God. Remember that you're a worshiper. That something or someone has your attention, has your devotion, has your obedience. The question then, are you worshiping the one who is actually worthy of all of that? Your life is controlled by who or what you worship. Are you under the control of the one who gave his very life for you so that you may live both now and forever? Remember that worship changes you. You are going to become like whatever or whomever you worship. And so celebrate this week, today, celebrate and verbalize the greatness of God. You won't ever be the same. Worship changes everything. Even if nothing changes, try it. See what God does in your life when you begin to worship in the midst of your difficult circumstances. You begin to worship on the treadmill of life. You begin to worship just when you're out in the field watching the sheep. And see what God does in you. Even if nothing around you changes, you watch what happens. That's the life that God promises us. That's the life that He wants to live through us. A life of worship that changes everything. Even if nothing changes. Let's pray together. I want you to consider something there with your head bowed and your eyes closed. That baby that was born, the Son of God, He grew up. And He lived a perfect life. And that's by no accident. It's because God required perfection in order to be satisfied. In order to be pleased, God requires perfection. (laughs) The only person right now that's still perfect is Jesus. There's not a single one of us here who's lived a perfect life so that we can make ourselves pleasing to God. But praise God that in His system, we don't have to. Jesus did that for you. All your junk, all your sin, all your shortcomings, all your failings, every bit of it is covered and trumped by the greatness and the perfection of Jesus. And because He was perfect, and because God requires death as the payment for sin, only a perfect person could die for sinful people, and Jesus did it for you. And then He was raised again. He didn't stay dead. And He promises new life both now and for all eternity for those who will believe in Him, those who will throw themselves at His mercy in faith and repentance, saying, I have no hope but You, Jesus. And maybe this Christmas is the time for you to throw yourself upon His mercy, recognizing Him as the only Savior, the very Son of God, and saying, I believe in You, Lord Jesus. Save me from my sin. And you worship Him as a result. God, we're so grateful. Thank You for a story that comes to life every time we see it. Thank You for the story that we so desperately needed that we can count on. Thank You, Lord. Help us to worship You. Change us, we pray, from the inside out. Even if things around us never change, Lord, make us like those shepherds who worshipped You even as they returned to that same old life. God, I pray for those this week that just need to worship You in the difficult moments 
When life is tough, when life is even great, Lord, help us to worship You. Change our focus, change our hearts, change our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.